Take your Bibles, if you would, and let's open the Word of God to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. Does that sound familiar? <laughs> We've been doing a study on that on Wednesday night on, on these characteristics that are listed here. <clears throat> and so we'll look at this text again this morning and take a little, little more from it. A little farther down. Second Peter chapter 1, <clears throat> and uh, we'll read verses 5 through 10. All right, if you found your place, let's stand together for the reading of God's Word. I'd like to have prayer, and then we'll begin reading right there in verse number 5 in Second Peter chapter 1. Let's pray together. Lord, how we love you today, and how we do thank you for your Word. And Lord, as we come around the Scriptures together... We do ask, Lord, that you'd be our teacher and guide, that you'd speak to every heart. Lord, that you would just illuminate your word and show us, each individual, Lord, show us personally what you'd have us do. Highlight those things that you want us to see and to know. And we pray, Lord, that you just speak to our hearts today, giving us, Lord, through the leadership of the Holy Spirit, just giving us a clear understanding of the word of God and the will of God for our lives. So I pray you'd make the message personal. Apply it to our hearts, Lord, and help us as obedient hearers, Lord, to be doers then of what we know to be true, doers of the word, Lord, as you speak to us today. And so we just ask you to have your will and way in every heart and every life. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. First Peter, or Second Peter chapter 1, verse 5. And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge and to knowledge, temperance, and to temperance, patience, and to patience, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off, and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore, the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. If you do these things, you shall never fall. Notice again verse 8 and 9, if you will. It says, For if these things be in you, this list we read before, if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you shall be, neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, verse 9, but he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten he was purged from his old sins. This morning, I'd like to preach a message that I've entitled Christians Who Cannot See. Christians Who Cannot See. Thank you so much. You may be seated. Obviously, this thought comes from verse 9. After this powerful list of characteristics given to us, Peter is encouraging us, and through the inspiration of the Scriptures, he's, he's teaching us. In verse 5, he says, add to your faith. The word missing, but implied, is the word you. You add to your faith. You know, sometimes we understand in the Christian life, there are, there are certain things that, that God does in our life. And we need to let God do His work. But then there are certain things that, that is our part, not God's part. And Peter here is saying this 
falls on your side of the line. This is your part. Add these things, he says. Add them to your Christian life. And then he gives us the list of these these eight areas where every Christian needs to grow, starting with your faith. Did you know faith can grow? We have just enough faith to get saved and trust Christ as our Savior. And we think, boy, I'm glad that's done. Wait a minute, that's not the end. That's the beginning of great things that God wants to do in your life. Right? It's not just about going to heaven. It's about living for Christ. It's about living the Christian life. So God gives us these things. Faith, virtue, knowledge, temperance, patience, godliness, brotherly kindness, and charity. But verse 9 says, He that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Think about that. Christians who can't see. Who are these Christians? What is this condition of not being able to see? Well, he doesn't stop after saying that this person is blind. Notice he, he gives some description of it. What kind of, what kind of uh, problem is this? He said, he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off. It's not that he cannot see at all, but he cannot see afar off. And you know, really, that's, that's my problem. That's why I wear these. So I can see afar off, right? Because if you go to an eye doctor, they call that being nearsighted. So I'm nearsighted. I, I see up close very well. I, I don't need these for that. But, but anything out in any kind of a distance, I have astigmatism, and so I need this. These correct my vision. Spiritually speaking, though, Peter said the, this list, these characteristics, this, for the, for the believer, is what's corrects our spiritual vision. You know, it's been interesting as it's been a long journey. Over 25 years of ministry experience and and working with people all the time. And and, and there have been times I've been challenged as a pastor, working with people who fall into this category, people who cannot see certain things. And I'm going to tell you something. When you care about people and you're trying to do things that that benefit them and they resist because they cannot see it for themselves. I'm telling you, that's a challenge. That's a challenge. Peter said, this is the case. There is a certain thing, spiritually speaking, where you and I can become nearsighted. We can can have our, our vision shortened to the point that there are things just out there that we cannot see clearly, or maybe not at all. It really is a case, if you understand this text, it's a case of spiritual neglect. I want to tell you this morning, it is worth it to put forth the effort to be what God wants you to be. And there are benefits, there are blessings that come when you do. One of those blessings is that your vision gets corrected. You you become enabled more and more, to see things clearly, things that God wants you to see in your life. But you have to do the hard work of adding these things to your faith. Notice Peter said in verse 5, and beside this, giving, what are those next two words? All diligence. All diligence. So what he's saying here, this is a great challenge. 
This is tough stuff right here. He said, You're gonna, it's going to take all of your diligence to do this. But he said, you need to do it. Roll up your sleeves and go to work. Growing in Christ and adding these things to your faith. Why? So that you can be what God wants you to be. Otherwise, your spiritual growth will be stunted. It'll be limited. You, you, you'll, you're, you'll never progress to the point that God wants you to without these things. And without them, the Bible is clear right here, you will not see what you need to see in the Christian life. So what is it that we need to see? What is it that these people who do not mature in their faith and grow in the Lord, what is it that they can't see? What is it that's so important? Well, I want to give you some thoughts along that line this morning to show us how vital it is that we be able to see what God wants us to see. Number one, those who cannot see afar off have a hard time seeing a vision for the future. They have a hard time seeing a vision for the future. Notice what the Bible says if you'll turn with me to Proverbs chapter 29. Proverbs is about in the middle of your Bible. You find the book of Psalms, perhaps, then go to the right to the book of Proverbs and chapter 29. In Proverbs 29, there's a verse there you've probably heard quoted many times, verse 18. Notice with me what it says. Where there is no vision, the people perish. And it goes on to say, but he that keepeth the law, happy is he. <clears throat> so Proverbs is a book where there are sayings that are balanced. All right, He gives you two sides of a thought. I just want to look at the first part here uh, for the sake of our message and what we're trying to get across here from the, from the book of Peter. Notice in Proverbs it says, where there is no vision, the people perish. Think about that. The word perish makes us think of death and destruction, decay. And those are the things that happen when we don't have a vision. Think of the things that never will occur if there's no vision. Think of the things that are never accomplished if there's no vision. Think of the people that are never reached if there's no vision. Think of the goals that are never achieved if there's no vision. Think of the work that is not done if there is no vision. This is serious. And the Bible says where there is no vision, the people perish. And I'm telling you, one of the hardest things you'll do in, in your life in ministry is to try to help someone who cannot see. Help them see that vision for the future way out there. And they're going to go, huh? I don't see that. Yeah, that's because you need a little help. And when we put in the work that God has called us to do, the work on ourselves, our vision becomes clear, enabling us to see the vision that we ought to see for the future. You know, the Bible says a lot about planning ahead and preparing. Right? It even says go to the ant to do this. So God is big on us understanding and having a little bit of vision for the future, not only in your life, uh, but, but in the life sometimes of others and collectively as a church family, God wants us to have a vision for the future. 
God wants us to have a vision for reaching the world. I'm glad we have a great missions program. And across the back wall, you can see the names of all the missionaries that Beckwith Baptist Church has supported faithfully down through the years. And what a blessing that is. We had a few of them here uh, back in February giving testimony of that. And, and praise God for that. But you know, our vision of, to reach the world is not limited to just mission work. You know, while they're working in their part of the world, we have to be working in ours. And we have to have a vision for what we're going to do right here at home while they have a a vision for what God is going to do with them in other parts of the world. A vision to reach others, reach the world, reach the lost. Where there is no vision, the people perish. May I remind you that it takes faith to have a vision for the future. And that's why at the very start, we have to begin adding and growing with that area of faith. Peter had it right. And all of the characteristics he listed, he listed them in order. There is an order to that. And sometimes one requires the support of the previous one. And we certainly need to believe God for things that are yet to be. May God help us to have a vision for the future. But not only that, if we neglect to grow like we should, if we neglect to add these things to our faith, not only might we miss seeing a vision for the future, but those who can't see also struggle with seeing the consequences, the consequences of their sins. You know, the Bible says in Proverbs again, there is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Actually, that verse is repeated in Proverbs. There's a way which seemeth right, but the end thereof are the ways of death. That reminds me of people who just blindly walk into sin. Why do they do it blindly? Because they can't see. They don't see where that path is going to take them. They don't see the end of that road they're on. They don't see the consequences. Oh, may God help us. It is important that we be able to see the consequences of our sin. In Numbers chapter 32, in verse number 23, the Bible says there, Be sure your sin will find you out. You know, the, 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 the humorous thing sometimes about us as humans is that we believe the lie of the devil that we can do this and somehow there will be no consequences. We believe that we can do this and somehow it'll it'll remain a secret and no one will ever find out. Man, go down to the prisons and ask them about that. God is the ruler of the universe. And He said in His Word, Be sure your sin will find you out. It won't be hidden forever. There are consequences, and they will catch up to you. In James chapter 1 and verse 15, it says, Sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. You know, that's not always the death of your your physical death, your life. It could be the death of your freedom. It could be the death of a friendship. There's a lot of ways to experience death the death of some part of you. 
the consequences of sin. You know, people who don't see the consequences of sin walk right into it, don't they? And this is why it's important for us as Christians to be able to see clearly. This is why God wants us to have a a, a vision to see ahead and not just to be nearsighted all the time. This is why Peter said, add this stuff to your faith, because if you don't, the neglect will cause you to be nearsighted and you'll walk right into things. Oh, God didn't want that for you. I'm telling you, there's some things you'd like to miss. But you have to know when to duck. You have to know when to divert. And in order to do that, you have to be able to see. May God help us to do the work so that we can grow in Christ enough to have clear vision so that we can see the consequences. Looking ahead, we can see the consequences of sin. Not only that, there's other things that people can't see. I've marveled at some of these things as I've worked in ministry. A vision for the future. That's so important. Consequences of sin, that's important. That's why people wake up and say, how did I get here? That's why sometimes people keep repeating, 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 repeating the same blunders. And they say, why me? As if if God or the universe or somebody just picking on them. Sometimes sometimes it's that way because of what we brought on ourselves. Hey, you remember old Jonah? Boy, he had it rough, didn't he? But whose fault was it? Jonah's the one that ran from God and got on that ship and paid the fare, right? Oh, did he pay. And you know, when, when, he, when he gave his two cents, however much that, that boat trip, when he, when he paid that, that for his little ticket, he thought he was done paying. But that's because he couldn't see. He couldn't see the consequences of running from God, and disobeying the word and the will of God. He didn't know what, what that was going to bring. And he went through the greatest storm of his life and the, probably the most awful event but he brought it on himself. Isn't that something? Hey, to show you how messed up it was, whose idea was it? Do you remember the story? Whose idea was it for them to throw Jonah overboard during that terrible storm? It was Jonah's idea, remember? He told those guys to do it. Hey, God sent the storm because of me, he said. He said, so if you want the storm to stop, if you all want to be spared, then just throw me overboard. And I think Jonah thought in his mind, well, I'm just going to drown and die right here. It's all going to be over. Oh, no. God said, Jonah, you're not getting off that easy. (laughs) Boy, do I have something for you. But isn't that awful that Jonah thought that way? Isn't it awful that he was thinking it would be good if he died right there? Hey, I'm telling you what, your thinking is warped. Your thinking is messed up when you're thinking thoughts like that. You need help when you're thinking thoughts like that. You need God when you're thinking thoughts like that. Things aren't right. Your perspective's not right when you're thinking thoughts like that. Poor Jonah. But you know what? We can find ourselves in the same position if we neglect our spiritual lives 
if we, if we do not grow and if we lack these things, our, our vision will become dim. And you and I could walk right into things as well, things of our own making, because we cannot see the consequences of our sins. What else do we need to see? I have this down as number three. If you're taking notes, we need to see the division between right and wrong. The division between right and wrong. This is a line that the world is trying to erase today. And I guess every generation has made the effort to erase this line. But as long as we have truth, this line will remain. Now I know to you and I, there are a lot of situations where we find ourselves in a position that's difficult to identify clearly where this line should be placed. And when we're in those foggy areas, we we call them the gray areas because to us they're not clear. Can I remind you of something, though? In God's mind, there are no gray areas. It's all clear. The Bible says that God sees in the darkness just as well as he does in the light. So there are no gray areas with God. You and I are taxed then with the challenge of finding the mind of God on these different topics that to us are gray. That we might have the leading of the Lord on where that line should be drawn. Or maybe I should say where it is already drawn. Notice what the Bible says in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 5. When we say, I, Pastor, I, I just don't see anything wrong with that. Are we saying we're standing in the fog? Are we saying we're in gray land? Maybe so. But in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 14, there's something here that we need to understand to bring clarity. Verse 14 says, But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age. What does that mean? It says, Even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and what? Evil. If you erase the line between right and wrong, then you're erasing the line between good and evil. Are you really saying there's no good and there's no evil anymore? Of course not. I think people don't have near a hard time confessing that good and evil exist as they do confessing that right and wrong also exist. You see, because we're going from good and evil, that seems like a vague thing out there somewhere. But when we start talking about right and wrong, well, that hits home a little closer, doesn't it? That's like right in front of us. And when we say it that way, right and wrong, it already implies that we must make a choice. And often the reason for removing the line is to eliminate having to make the choice. To make it okay to stand on either side. But it's not okay. So what do you do? This verse has the answer. You exercise those senses. You sharpen yourself. 
You know, the Bible says iron sharpeneth iron, right? So we need to sharpen our senses and our ability to discern between right and wrong. How do we do that? It says that comes from exercising our senses. Well, as a believer, we exercise our senses through the word of God. Because it's not you and I determining right and wrong. We, we give that determination to God. And we recognize where He has already drawn those lines. And as a believer, that's what we try to do. We try to find the mind of God. Where, what does God think about this? What does God think about life? What does God think about death? What does God think about these choices? And whatever He said... That's what we're going to accept as right or wrong. Does that make sense? So we have, to be, we have to really know this book, don't we? That's why in 1 Peter chapter 1, he talks so much about the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, we have to know God and know His Word enough to know His heart, to know what He wants. You know, as a child growing up, if you didn't want to get in trouble, you had to know the heart of your parents. What do they want and what do they not want, right? And it just seems like the oldest one kind of learns it the best and then tries to turn around, right, and teach the younger ones. At least that's how it was with our kids. Oh, no, they'd say, you better not do that. Boy, I'm telling you what, mom and dad, they catch you doing that, right? Well, how did they learn that? Stepped across that line. So they know real clearly where that is. You know what? You and I, through understanding the Word of God, through knowing the heart of God, we we need to know where that line is. This is what God's Word says. Why? So that we can see the division between right and wrong. I find it interesting in Nehemiah, it talks about how the priest taught the people. And the Bible says in Nehemiah chapter 8 that the priest, they taught the Word of God. And it says there, they gave the sense. They They were teaching the application of the Scripture helping people to understand the rights and wrongs of their day. And that's the way it should be. We should get those discernments through the Word of God. Here's another one. Those who cannot see, they also have a hard time seeing spiritual opportunities around them. Spiritual opportunities. How would you like to get to heaven one day and find out that you missed the opportunity God gave you to serve Him. You miss the opportunity to be a blessing. You miss the opportunity that God wanted you to have to make a difference in somebody's life. Wouldn't that be terrible? The problem is, I believe there's a multitude of those, not just one. Now, there may be one special one among the many, but I believe God gives us opportunities like that regularly. But notice this. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 16. The Apostle Paul made a confession here because he could see. This comes from self-awareness and from understanding what's going on around you. You know, the Bible says it like this, walk circumspectly. That word circumspectly is the idea of a circle. And it means in the circle of your influence, in the circle of your life, you to be aware of what's going on in that circle. And I heard one preacher describe it as a cat walking across a fence with barking dogs on both sides. This cat's walking circumspectly, right? Very aware. You and I should be aware 
of what's going on around us and aware to the opportunities, awake to the opportunities that God has for us. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse 9. The Bible says there, Paul is saying, For a great door and effectual is opened unto me. Notice, he said, and there are many adversaries. You know, I, I hate it that it's true, but in this life it is true that every time we have an opportunity to serve God, usually there's somebody to oppose that around us. And when we do the right thing, not everybody's happy about it. Sometimes it rubs people the wrong way. It shouldn't be like that. It seems like everybody should be happy when we do right. But it's not always the case. And Paul understood that. Hey, I wonder what spiritual opportunities are around you on a daily basis. What has God brought into that circle of life for you? Who is it? Who are the people that God wanted you to have contact with or that God wanted you to witness to or to mentor or be a blessing to, to encourage? What, what opportunities lie in your pathway to get things done for the Lord, to make a difference in this world? Can you see them? Isn't it interesting? Paul said, yes, I see him. He said, boy, a great door is open unto me. Isn't it great to be prepared to see that door when it opens, to know that God has given you an opportunity and to be ready to meet it? Somebody said this very well. They said, you know, luck is when preparation meets opportunity. Well, I like that. Are you prepared? And do you see the opportunity? Notice, lastly, and this is so important, what do we miss when we can't see? What do we miss seeing? Well, we can miss, like we said, a vision for the future. We can miss seeing consequences of sin. We can miss seeing the division between right and wrong. We can miss seeing spiritual opportunities around us. But if you're in that nearsighted state, you can also miss the will of God. You know, the Bible has some things to say about the will of God and the carnal man. And the Bible tells us that when we're, in that, we're in, living in that carnal state, we, we can't please God. But it also says we can't understand spiritual things. It says they seem foolish to us. You know, we need to be self-aware enough to know when we're in a carnal state of mind or a spiritual state of mind. The Bible says the carnal mind is enmity with God. <clears throat> you ought to do a study on that, the carnal mind. And just look at all of that stuff the Bible says about it and, and really make sure you apply it well because without, if you're, if you're in that state, you won't see the will of God. Let me show you a Bible example of what happened. Turn with me to Numbers chapter 13. Back in the Old Testament. <clears throat> Numbers chapter 13. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, you know, Numbers. Something like that. In Numbers 13... There's the story of the, the spies, you remember that, who went to spy out the land that God was going to give to Israel. Now, God had already said he was going to give them the land. 
And the spies were sent in basically to get a sneak preview of what's there and come back. That's all. Look what happened as we read in verse 26. The Bible says, And they went and came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the children of Israel unto the wilderness of Paran and to Kadesh and brought back word unto them and unto all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told them and said, We came into the land whither thou sentest us, and surely it floweth with milk and honey, and this is the fruit of it. And they showed him that huge cluster of grapes, you know, that it took two men to carry. If you want to go back and read all the details, you can do that. But in verse 28, it says this, Nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell in the land, and the cities are walled and very great. And moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south, and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites dwell in the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and by the coast of Jordan. And Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. But the men that went up with him said, We be not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they brought up an evil report of the land which they had searched unto the children of Israel, saying, The land through which we have gone to search it is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof. And all the people that we saw in it are men of great stature. And there we saw giants and the sons of Anak, which come from the giants. And we were in our own sight as grasshoppers. So were we in their sight. And look what happened. The Bible says, And all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried, and the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron. And the whole congregation said unto them, Would God that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would God we had died in this wilderness? And wherefore hath the Lord brought us unto this land to fall by the sword that our wives and children should be a prey. Were it not better for us to return to Egypt? And they said one to another, Let us make a captain and let us return into Egypt. You know what going back to Egypt meant? It meant going back into slavery. Now, God had already told Moses and Aaron, wait a minute, the same God that put up a a cloud between Israel and the Egyptians when they left Egypt, the same God that put up that, that pillar of fire to stop the Egyptians from overtaking them, the fire was by night and the cloud was by day so that the Egyptians couldn't get through to do anything to the children of Israel. That God. The same God who who parted the waters on the other side of that pillar so that they could walk across and, and get away from the Egyptians. They walked across on dry land. God parted that water for them. And then when the Egyptians tried to cross, God closed the waters and annihilated the Egyptians. And their dead bodies washed up on shore. God fought for them, and they didn't have to lift a finger. That same God who provided for them in the wilderness 
and sent manna from heaven. That same God said, you see that land over there? I'm going to give it to you. But they couldn't see the will of God for their life. And even though they went through and and toured the land, they came back with all the negatives they saw instead of the positives. If you've ever been in children's church, you heard the song about this story. Twelve men went to spy on Canaan. Ten were bad, and two were good. Joshua and Caleb were the two. They came back and they gave a good report. They said, hey, God has given us a great land. Let's go take it. But the other ten spies said, oh, oh no. We can't do it. We'll never make it. They're too big. They're too strong. We look like grasshoppers. Wait a minute. God was on your side. The same God that did all that other stuff is going to give you that their land. Going to give it to you. But they said, oh no. Because they couldn't see how it would happen. Hey, don't tell me this is not an important issue. Because when we're in that carnal mind state, before we grow and mature in our faith in the Lord, we see things through our carnal eyes and we only obey what makes sense to us. And that is a flaw to the spiritual man who wants to walk by faith and serve God, seeing the things that are invisible. In other words, by faith. You can't do both. You can't do both. And that's why Joshua said later, choose you this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Because you know, if you don't put in the effort, if you neglect these spiritual areas of your life, if you don't grow in Christ, you're going to be blind in the sense that you're so nearsighted you can't see afar off and it will affect your ability to be able to see the will of God for your life and your future. And you will feel lost just like those ten spies. And you will feel defeated because often in the Christian life God gives the victory through faith. Faith doesn't operate on the basis of sight and what we can see and feel and touch and understand. So when they went into that promised land, finally, one of the things God told them to do was march around this city. Remember they said, the walls are so big. God said, I want you to march around the walls seven times. He said, and I want you to do it silently. Don't make a sound. That doesn't make any sense. How are we going to conquer a city by walking around the wall silently? I don't know, but they did that every day. And on the seventh day, 
after they walked around the seventh time, God said, I want you to blow the trumpets and shout. And when they did, the walls fell down. I don't, I don't know. Don't look at me. I didn't write the story. It really doesn't make sense. Except for this one thing. God said he would give them the city. And the only way that story makes sense is that when you know that God was on their side fighting for them, doing what they could not do. So God just knocked the walls down. But you know what? The natural man will never obey God enough to walk toward a victory that he cannot see. You remember what God told him at one time? He said, I know there's a river here, but you just go ahead and start walking across it. And when your feet get in the water, it's going to part for you. But see, people that haven't developed their faith, people that haven't grown in the Lord, they look at that water and they say, yeah, I don't think so. And because of that, they walk by sight instead of by faith. And because they're not willing to get their feet wet, they'll never see God part the waters in their life. Now, sometimes people ask, well, preacher, um, you know, is it faith or is it foolishness? Well, there's a very easy way to answer that question. Because the Bible tells us what faith is. Faith is not positive thinking. Faith is not just believing. You know, the world says, you got to believe in something. that's, That's not faith. Faith is believing God. So I think a good example, a Bible example, if you want one, of how to know when you're acting on faith or if you're acting on foolishness, okay, there's a Bible story about that. It's about Peter when he was in the boat and he saw Jesus walking on the water. You know, for him to just jump over the side, that would have been foolish, wouldn't it? But, but he said, Lord, if it's you, he said, then bid me come to you on the water. In other words, let me walk on the water too. And Jesus said, okay, come on. So there's how you know if it's faith or foolish. Did God tell you to do it. That's the difference. If God had not told Peter to get out of that boat, he would have went straight down to the bottom. Bloop. He would have sunk. But he didn't. You read the Bible and and I don't even know why he thought to ask that because I don't think I would have thought to ask that. So here he goes. He's stepping out of the boat. He's looking at Jesus and wow, guess what? The water is holding him up and he's Whoa, and he was doing great until he noticed that big wave coming, right? Then he started to sink, and Jesus saved him. We we remember the story, and sometimes we spend more time getting on to Peter because he started to sink than praising him because he stepped out of the boat. Hey, when God speaks to you and asks you to do something, and you can't really see how it makes sense, are you willing to get out of the boat? Are you willing to do what God said? That's faith. Because you know God said do this. Now I've heard a lot of people blame God for stuff that I'm wondering, I don't know if that came from God. Well, if you sink, we'll know. 
When God leads you, it's by faith. You trust Him, He will do what He said. God told them, you go and take that land. I'm going to give it to you. He did. And so here they are moving by faith, moving forward. They're doing what God said. So they conquered a city by marching around the walls. They followed God's instructions and God gave them the victory. It's the same in our life. But the problem is when we look at what God's showing us, do we see God's ability or do we see our inability? How you see it will determine what you do and whether or not you follow the Lord. Blindness. Peter said, those who don't develop their Christian lives, those who don't add to their faith. He said, he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Hey, does this blind condition, does it affect you? Absolutely. These these issues bring major effects, major consequences to your life. What happens if you miss the will of God? What happens if you miss spiritual opportunities to serve and make a difference? What happens if you fail to discern the difference between right and wrong? What happens if you don't see the consequences of your sin? What happens if you don't have a vision for the future? Peter said, and hath forgotten he was purged from his old sins. You know what this does? This this affects, it affects your perspective first. Ultimately, it affects your attitude and it affects your position. Let me show you what I mean. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. That's our attitude. We're, we face life as a new experience. When we meet Jesus, it brings excitement to our heart and joy to our steps. It gives us new direction. But when we're living in that carnal state, when we, when we have our eyes dimmed, we don't see all that. <clears throat> Romans 6, 6 says, Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. But see, when we've forgotten all that, we end up gravitating back to it. So what we don't realize sometimes is that our sight determines our position. Are we headed toward God and toward the will of God and all the opportunities He has for us and the new life ahead? Or are we pointed back? Back to Egypt, so to speak. Back to the ways of the world. Back to the life we lived before we knew Him. Did we forget who saved us and the path we were on? Or are we giving all diligence to add these things to our faith so that our vision can be corrected and we can see. Only then can you see what God has for you. So add them to your life. Faith, 
virtue, knowledge, temperance, patience, godliness, brotherly kindness, and charity. For if these things be in you, Peter said, you shall never fall. What a blessing. What a promise. Amen. A great reward for your labor. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, how we thank you, Lord, for the preciousness of Scripture. And Lord, we thank you for the preciseness of this passage. Lord, just giving us clear direction, clear understanding, showing us what to do. And Lord, it's all in the mirror. May we look in the mirror of your word today, see ourselves, and know what we need to work on. Would you show us right now? Would you help us with that? If we're taking a close-up look, Lord, may our eyes be willing to see. And Lord, you just show us who we are, what we are, what we need to change, how we need to grow so that we can be all that you want us to be. And Lord, we'll thank you for all you do. In Jesus' name we ask.